So for the sermon, we're going to be continuing in our series. We just started this series on lessons from, from biblical figures. So in this series, we're looking at various figures from the Bible. We're still in the Old Testament. We'll eventually move into the New Testament. Uh, and we're sort of drawing forth lessons from their lives as recorded in Scripture. And today we're going to be taking a look at Joshua. So you can pull out your Bibles, turn to Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 24, which is right at the end. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 28. And let me start by reading this. So verse 1 through 28, Joshua 24. It says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So I just want to pause here, just sort of set the context so we know what's going on here as Joshua's assembling Israel here. Um, so Joshua has led the Israelites in the conquest of the land. They haven't quite completed the conquest. Uh, as we know, they don't wind up completing the conquest. That sort of becomes an issue. Think of judges, right? They leave some of the people in the land, and they sort of become a thorn in their side. They lead the Israelites into worshiping other gods, their gods, the Canaanite gods. And so, of course, God hands them over uh, to enemies to be plundered, and then he raises up a judge, delivers them, so forth and so on. Uh, but at this point, they've, they've done a decent job, at least of, for the most part, conquering the land. And Joshua's sort of getting up there in age. It's sort of like he's done with the conquest. It's, it's now for those after him to continue the work and finish the conquest, even though they don't do that. But he knows he's sort of at the end of, of his life. So he's done leading them in, in the conquest. And he even uh, divides the land and allots the, the various parts of the land of Canaan to the various tribes of Israel. So they've sort of divided up the land between the tribes. And now he's gathering the people, again, sort of toward the end of his life, knowing he's, he's going to die soon. He gathers them uh, here all together. And effectively, what this is is really a, a covenant reaffirmation. And I'll sort of come back to that later as that becomes clear in our passage. But that sort of sets the context a little bit for us. So, as I read, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam's. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. 
Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent ahead of you, probably your translation here says the hornet. Um, that's a possible translation, but, but a better translation, it could mean either of these, is sort of like uh, terror, fear that induces panic. Uh, and that's probably a better translation of this. I sent ahead of you this, this panic terror, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Right, so what, what's going on here, right? Joshua here, he, he understands the reality of here you have the Israelite people. And while on the surface, uh, they might say, oh, you know, we're, we're going to follow God. We acknowledge God. But at the very same time, a great many of them are, are, are bowing down before other gods. They have idols, household idols that they're bowing down before. Uh, they were very syncretistic. That was common. You think of sort of the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament. That was a common narrative for them where they might acknowledge Yahweh, the one true God, and, and worship him, but then say, you know, we want to worship Baal too and all of these other Canaanite deities and so forth. And that's what was going down, going on. They were worshiping the Lord in part, but, but divided and, and worshiping other gods as well. Right, And so what Joshua does here is basically says, you know, it's time for you guys to decide. And again, this is sort of covenant reaffirmation. We're going to see that language and even uses the language of, of covenant later. Uh, and he's sort of saying, now's the time for you to decide. We've sort of done a pretty good job of, of conquering the land, that we possess a, a good portion of it, right? I'm sort of at the end of my time, my years, we've allotted the land, right? And, and now you can dwell in it, though, again, make sure you finish the conquest, though they don't wind up going and doing that. And he's saying, now's the time to sort of reaffirm your commitment to this covenant. You've made a covenant with God that he'll be your God, you'll be his people, you'll follow his commands, his laws, his decrees. But he sort of says, but I know you, and I know you've been worshiping other gods at the same time, breaking his commands. And so now is the time for you to decide. What's it going to be? No more sort of faking being a follower of the Lord. No more posing. No more sort of half in, half out. It's time to decide. What's it going to be? Are you truly going to follow the Lord? Great. That's what you ought to do, right? That, that's what he says. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord, right? He knows they have these idols. Get rid of them. This is what you ought to do. Get rid of those idols you're worshipping. Worship the Lord. But, right, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if you refuse to worship the Lord, then, then fine. Have it your way. Pick whatever god you want, some Canaanite god or from beyond the Euphrates or an Egyptian god or whatever. Pick your god, whatever. If you won't serve the Lord, pick that god. Go. Undoubtedly, what he would have in mind is this is the promised land for the Lord's people. Go. Leave this land. Do whatever you want, right? Uh, if you don't want to be one of us and one of the Lord's faithful people, fine. Go your way. Uh, and those of us who truly choose the Lord will be his covenant people, will dwell here. Now is the time for you to decide 
what is it going to be? So then we get the people's response. Verse 16 says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Right, but now Joshua's going to have this response. So he says, who, who, just to back up, who, who are you going to serve? Now's the time to decide. No more sitting on the fence. No more trying to have it both ways. No more sort of faking being a real follower of the Lord when you're worshiping other gods. You've got to decide now, are you in or are you out? Are you going to follow the Lord or some other god? And they respond, of course, you know, we're going to serve the Lord. No doubt about it. But Joshua sort of knows their hearts, you know, so he recognizes these are people who've gone after other gods and worship them. Uh, He doesn't even just have to sort of know their hearts and speculate, like, what what does the future hold? What's going to happen? If you even just sort of back up to, to Deuteronomy, the Lord made it clear to Moses and the whole Israelite people that ultimately they were going to bow down to other gods, forsake the Lord, that punishment would come, there'd be judgment and consequences upon Israel. So it's not like Joshua just has to think, Wow, what do I, you know, use my wisdom. What do I think is going to come down the road? Knowing you're already worshiping other gods, probably you'll fall prey to that again and God will punish you. He already knows that God has made it clear to Moses, the Israelite people before in, in Deuteronomy, that that is what's going to happen. And so he sort of knows and he wants to make it clear. Maybe you're just sort of Israelite people in the moment, you know, after all that I just said. And so sort of in the heat of the moment, in the emotion, you're like, yeah, we're all in for the Lord but knowing maybe your hearts aren't really there. So Joshua sort of lays it out for them in verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. And again, in his mind is like, and I know you're going to, God's already made that clear to Moses, to all of you. He's made that clear. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. So this is Joshua's way of saying like, are you sure? Like, I'll give you one more chance. You've said, yes, you're in, you're all for the Lord, but are you sure? And then we get their response, verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods, right? They have these idols that they've been bowing down and worshiping these other gods. He's saying, get rid of them, right? You've chosen the Lord, so get rid of those idols, be rid of that. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws, right? This is sort of a covenant reaffirmation that was a common practice uh, in the ancient Near East, right? They'd made a covenant at Sinai with the Lord. This is just sort of reaffirming it. So it says, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance." 
Right, so what do I want to sort of draw out from this passage as this lesson that we're going to learn today from Joshua, from, from his life? And the lesson that I want to draw forth is the reality that at times, there are times that arise. We see this here in Joshua's context. Uh, I think we're in that context, thinking of the American church. I'll speak to that further as we go on in this sermon. But there are times that arise when uh, leaders amongst God's people need to step up and say, hey, guys, it's time for you to choose, right? In Joshua's time, what was taking place? You have the Israelite people who are kind of wishy-washy in their faithfulness to the Lord. Yeah, they would have acknowledged the Lord as God, but again, they're worshiping other gods. They're not really true to the Lord. They're sort of fake poser followers of, of, of the Lord. That's kind of the reality. And he says, this is a time where I need to call you to choose. You know, you can't sit on the fence and claim to be a follower of the Lord while you're worshiping Baal and every other sort of deity. You can't do that. you got to choose. Is it going to be the Lord or one of those other gods? Uh, and I'd say in the American church, we're sort of in the same context where you have plenty of people in the American church. I'll talk about this in great detail and look at various polls and all of the data that, that supports this. But the reality of, of the American church generally but you might even say, well, that's sort of like the mainline churches that have sort of strayed from the Lord and forsaken him, mainline Protestant churches. Um, but the reality is even within the evangelical church, those who identify as evangelical Christians, churches that would say we're evangelical Christian churches, uh, the reality is there are a great many people who would bear the name of Christ, who'd say, yeah, I'm following the Lord, I'm an evangelical Christian, and yet the reality is they don't really belong to the Lord. They don't really believe the truth of Scripture. They don't believe the truth about Christ. They don't believe the truth of the gospel. They're not really following him. They're just sort of cultural Christians. They grew up calling themselves Christians because their parents were Christians, and that's just sort of part of their culture. And so they say they are, but they have no real love for the Lord. They don't really care about their faith. They don't really have saving faith in Christ. Right? There's a great nominalism in, in Christianity in the U.S., but even within evangelical Christianity. And so it's time, I would say, for leaders in the church. I don't think this is some rampant problem at New Hope Chapel, just for the record. I don't think we're one of those churches that's just filled, like half of our people are just sort of like posing as Christians, but don't really believe the truth of Scripture, don't believe the gospel. I think we're a church filled with people who genuinely love the Lord and, and belong to him. But nonetheless, I think in, in a wider sense, in our country, the evangelical church, uh, it's, it's high time for leaders in the church, pastors, et cetera, to step up and say, it's, we're in a situation just like Joshua. Joshua had a lot of people who were sort of posing as followers of, of the Lord, right? We're in the same situation. A lot of people out there calling themselves Christians, but they're not. They're coming to church regularly. Maybe they go through the motions. Maybe on the surface, they look like Christians, but, but they don't really believe in Christ. They don't have saving faith in him. And it's time for leaders to, to put out that challenge and that exhortation to, to choose. It's time to choose. Who do you really choose? Who do you belong to? Are you going to follow the Lord? Is, is he your God? Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to truly come to saving faith in him uh, and follow him all of your days? Or are you going to say, that's just not desirable in my eyes. I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow Christ. I want to follow the ways of the world, whatever is the latest whim of the, the fleshliness of the world and however the world wants to operate. I'll just go along with that. That's my heart's desire. I just want to live for myself, whatever feels good to me, again, sort of the wisdom of the world, whatever my truth is, whatever works for me, that's what I want to do. If that's the case, again, sort of the same thing in Joshua, then, then fine. If that's what you choose to worship, if you want to bow down before the world, then go and do that. Sort of in a sense, there's the door. You can go and do that and worship whoever you want to. But this place is a place for worshiping 
Christ, for people who are true followers of him. That is what the church is for. And I just want to clarify, when I say sort of like, there's the door, you can go and leave, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for seekers in the church. There certainly is. For those who would say, hey, I'm not really a a follower of Christ, but I'm curious. I want to find out what Christianity is all about. I'm sort of seeking for spiritual truth. Please, by all means, come. You're welcome. Uh, You're welcome here. This is a place for you to seek after that truth. But, but I'm sort of speaking to the person who's maybe been coming for years and years and years. Again, I'm, I'm not sure we have any of these people in New Hope Chapel, but they fill American churches all over the place who've come to church for years and years and years and say they're a Christian. Maybe they're a member of the church and so forth and so on. They might be involved in ministry, right? But the reality is they don't even believe God's word. They don't believe in who God is. They don't believe in who Christ is. They don't believe the truth of the gospel, and they have no real intention of truly following Christ. If that's the case, then don't pretend anymore. Don't pose anymore. If you want to worship something else, then there's some other place for that, and this isn't the place. That's the reality. But I want to speak to some of the statistics, because you could say, well, is that true about the evangelical church? Like, are there really a great many people who are just sort of fake Christians? They call themselves Christians, but they're not. Again, I don't think that's a real big problem here at New Hope Chapel, and maybe you've been coming here for a long time that you don't have some great sense of, like, what are other churches like? What is typical out there? Uh, and here's just some, some data from various studies that have been done. The first one relates to the American church generally, not just evangelical, but it's still a good uh, statistic. According to a 2021 Barna study, 9% of those who identify as Christians actually hold just to the, the core basic doctrines, tenets, of the Christian faith. I'm not talking about every little teaching in the Bible, just sort of the core of the faith, like this is what Christianity is about, this is who God is, this is who Christ is, this is the gospel message. Only 9%, that, that's less than 1 in 10, these are people who call themselves Christians, yet just 9% of them actually hold to the core of the Christian faith. And again, you might say, oh, that's like all the mainline churches, they sort of went theologically liberal a long time ago, but surely that's not true of, of evangelical churches. Our evangelical churches must be filled with true followers of Christ. Well, I'll give you some statistics about the evangelical church. And this was a, a 2020 study. And again, that's a few years old, but still pretty accurate. But generally, things have only gotten worse in this regard over the years. So I would bet these numbers are even worse. Uh, But a 2020 study conducted by LifeWay Research found the following. And again, this is for evangelicals, those who identify as evangelical Christians. 30% of evangelicals said Jesus was not God, but just a good teacher, right? So 30% is already a round number, but but I'll sort of give a different round number. Just say one one out of three, right? 33%, one in three. You go around to evangelical churches, and it's just on average one out of three people sitting in the pews who won't even affirm that Christ is is indeed God, that he's fully divine, also fully man, of course, but fully divine. This is God the Son, right? They would say, no, 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 you know, a third of those people in the evangelical churches, no, I don't believe that. He's just like a regular person, just like you, just like me, just sort of a really good teacher, and I like some of what he says, right? That's not in line with the Christian faith, right? Those aren't people who are truly followers of Christ, and yet they fill our churches. And again, the question needs to be posed to them, who are you going to choose, right? You need to choose this day. You can't just sit around in our churches saying, I don't really follow Christ. I'm going to call myself a Christian, but I don't really follow what Scripture says about Christ. I don't believe that he's, he's God the Son. Uh, and just keep doing that, right? You need to decide, are you truly going to repent and believe in him and, and follow him or not? And if not, then there's some other place for you. 
Again, some other statistics. Again, just evangelicals we're talking here. 46% of evangelicals said that the Holy Spirit was just a force and not a divine person, right? So they would look at the Holy Spirit and say, oh, he's not like the third person of the Trinity. He's not God. He's just sort of like some force and like energy, amorphous blob of energy out there, right? So they're not even Trinitarian, just like the, the prior statistic where they looked at Jesus and said, oh, we don't believe he's God, the Son, second person of the Trinity, divine, just a person. Here with the Holy Spirit, it's like he doesn't even have personhood. He's, he's not a person. He's just sort of a force. And again, 46%, let's just sort of round that off. That, that's just half, right? Half of the people filling evangelical churches aren't even in a basic way Trinitarian. They don't affirm the one true God. Uh, they're not truly following God, following Christ. They don't truly belong to him. They might, you know, call themselves Christians when they fill out a form. Oh, what's your religion, Christian? Oh, yeah, evangelical. That, that's my, maybe how they identify, but they're not true followers of Christ. And again, it, it's time when 50% of the people in our churches are, are saying that. It's time to say, who are you really worshiping? Who are you serving? Are you really going to follow Christ, follow God, turn to him in repentant faith? Or not, if you have no real intention of seeking after him and choosing to follow him, then again, there's the door. There's another place for you where you can worship whatever it is you want to worship. Again, another statistic, 42% of evangelicals said that God accepts all religions. Just sort of this universalist, pluralistic, like, hey, any, any way, you know, any religion's fine. You can get to heaven through any religion. Again, totally contradicting the truth of Scripture, uh, totally throwing out the gospel message that salvation's, of course, in Christ alone, in Christ and Christ alone, not in some other religion, right? It's in Christ alone. It's by grace, through faith in him. That's the gospel message. They're, they're saying, yeah, I don't like the gospel. I, I don't like that idea. It's too exclusive. Like, what about other people? We want to include them. So, like, any religion works, and God will accept any religion. That's their viewpoint. Again, these are not people who are truly Christians, who truly follow the Lord, and yet, again, that's 42%. It's not far off from half filling our, our churches, evangelical churches. Uh, and again, it's high time that leaders say, well, you know, you got to choose. The time has arrived. Today's the day. Who are you going to follow? Are you really going to choose to follow Christ, turn to him in repentant faith and, and follow him? Or are you going to follow something else, right? The way of the world, follow yourself. Are you going to worship something else? And again, we're just living in a time, I do want to highlight, I don't think this is a major problem at New Hope Chapel. I don't want you to think like, oh, Pastor Steve uh, thinks like half of us here at New Hope Chapel are just like posing as Christians. No, I know the hearts of the people here, that this is a church filled with people who, who really do genuinely, genuinely love the Lord. But nonetheless, I think sort of thinking of the collective church and, and with us as part of the church, the church needs to put out uh, this challenge to really make this decision, recognizing the state of the American church, the American evangelical church, just recognizing how many sort of fake Christians there are filling our seats, our pews. We need to put out this call to say, today's the day and you need to choose. And I want to speak to a little bit why I think things are the way they are. Why is it that sort of half of our people, you know, you have 46% of people sitting in evangelical churches saying, like, I just think the Holy Spirit's just some, like, force out there or whatever, rather than, you know, the third person of the Trinity and, and truly God. Uh, I would say that for a great many churches and, and pastors, and this has just sort of become the mindset of, of the evangelical church, it's like, we're all about numbers, numbers, numbers. We want more. We want to grow. Uh, a pastor's job, might, whether he keeps it or not, might be based on the metrics and are the numbers going up and up? What does the graph show? And, and so forth and so on. And so we're driven by numbers that will sort of accept 
any sort of number. Pastors and, and leaders in churches uh, and churches just generally are sort of loath to see anyone go out of their church. We don't want anyone to leave. We don't want to risk offending anyone. We just care about numbers. But the truth is those numbers aren't real numbers. They're not real kingdom numbers. They don't actually really necessarily represent those who truly belong to Christ. But in a sense, there's this drive just to see numbers and increasing and we're growing. And so I think people have become happy to have People who have thoroughly heretical views filling their churches to the point that they could become the majority within the church. Uh, and so I think that has, is in significant part what has, has driven this. And again, I want to make a distinction between those who are truly just seeking after truth. I'm not trying to like kick everyone out of the church if you're not a follower of Christ. If you're really at a church and you're just seeking for answers, you want to find out what Scripture says, right? Churches should be welcome you in, welcome you in and say, hey, here's what Scripture says. Listen to what our pastor has to say. Join our small group. Come in here. But those people, they're not faking that they're Christians. They're admitting, admitting, I'm not. I just want to find out more rather than these people who are filling our churches claiming to be followers of Christ, have been probably coming to churches maybe even for decades, that's a reality, and yet no have, have no real intention of truly following the Lord. And those people need to be confronted uh, with sort of this fork in the road of today's the day, who are you going to follow? Is it going to be the Lord or not? And if not, then go somewhere else because this is a place for real followers of Christ or those who are truly seeking, not for people who are just posing. The Lord doesn't want fake Christians posing Christians. He wants true followers of his. And the reality is, if not just here at New Hope Chapel, again, I think we're a church that, that has is filled with people who love the Lord, but if, if, and I know I don't, it's not like New Hope Chapel has some major platform where like pastors everywhere are watching my sermons and this is going to have some great global impact. I realize it's not like that's our platform and like I have a million YouTube followers listening to my sermons and so forth. But even if just bit by bit somebody hears this, others catch wind of it and if, you know, who knows how God can work. But it, it just think if the American church were to say, let's, let's take this seriously. People really do need to be confronted with this fork in the road. What are you going to choose? You know, is it going to be the Lord? Are you going to follow him or is it going to be something else? But you need to choose this day, right? What, what would be the result of that? What would be the outflow of that? I would say that, that probably in a small percentage of the cases of those fake Christians, posing Christians, the Holy Spirit really may work in their hearts. And in that moment, as they're sort of confronted with the fact that, hey, maybe you're not really a true follower of Christ. Are you going to be? The Holy Spirit very well may work in the hearts of some and lead them to saving faith and truly into his kingdom. But I would say, in all honesty, most of those people, a significant majority, are going to say, fine, you don't want us here, then we're out and we're going to leave. And again, the immediate response of a lot of churches and pastors would be like, no, 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 like what if my church is half fake Christians and now like my numbers are cut in half and that's going to be terrible and the budget's going to be less because they give money and so forth and so on and what are we going to do? And often that would be viewed in such a negative light and I would say we need to frame it more accurately and I think it would actually not be a bad thing but a good thing for the church and the health of the church. Right, in a sense, it would effectively purify the church. Instead of the church being filled with a bunch of people who don't really love the Lord and follow him and they're just sort of faking it, now you'd have churches that are truly filled with people who belong to Christ, who are following him. They'd be purified in that sense. I think the church would be an awful lot healthier instead of sort of the dysfunctions of people who don't really care about the Lord or love him, sort of filling the church and leadership positions in the church, as often happens. Right, You now have a healthier church filled with people who love the Lord, who want to serve him, who want to grow in their faith, and the church would just be healthier and thrive all the more. As the church just lives out its, its life and, and the members of the church, God would be honored and glorified all the more in the life of that church. 
that church is going to be a better witness for Christ in the world as it's representative of the true church rather than being filled with a bunch of fake Christians who aren't really living a Christ-like life. And so I think it's not some awful, terrible thing if that were to happen and a great many people were to say, fine, we're out. I think you now have a purer church that would be all the healthier, thrive all the more, and be a better witness for Christ. And so, so as we think of sort of what's our takeaway, what's our application, uh, it's just what we see in Joshua. It's time for uh, the church and leaders in the church to sort of put the question to, to their congregants, to Christians everywhere, or at least those who, who claim to be Christians, right? It's time to decide, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. Is it going to be the Lord? And I, I hope and pray that it is, and that's the desired response. But if not, if that's undesirable to a great many people in our, our country, in our world, those who claim to be Christians, again, then they can see themselves out and find a place where they can worship what they want to worship. Uh, I want to put that question for each and every one of us today. Who are we going to serve? Whom will we serve? And again, I know the church. I know this is a congregation filled with people who just truly do love the Lord. And, and from, from that perspective, this is just an opportunity, too, for us to reaffirm our, our commitment to Christ. That's the reality. If you really are a true follower of the Lord and you've belonged to him for years and years and years, you genuinely have saving faith in him, then this is just an opportunity. Just as this was sort of, for Joshua, a covenant reaffirmation, that's what it was. Well, this is an opportunity to reaffirm your faith in Christ and say, yes, I'm his. I'm yours, Lord Jesus. I belong to you. I, I commit myself to you. I reaffirm that. I truly do worship and serve you. But perhaps there are even here this day or others who might be listening online. Uh, there may be some would say, you know, I don't, maybe I'm not really all in. You know, maybe I have been posing. Maybe I don't really believe, you know, just as Pastor Steve mentioned some of those things that a lot of evangelicals do or don't believe that don't fall in line with Scripture. Maybe that's you. And, and, and maybe you're confronted with the question of, hey, do I really belong to Christ? Have, am I really serving him? Have I been on the fence? You know, have I been like the Israelites? They're claiming to worship God, but they're worshiping other gods. Uh, and if that's you, if maybe you're one who's perhaps been sort of posing as a Christian for some time, let this be the time where you say, you know what, you're right, I do need to be confronted with that question, whom will I serve? And I choose the Lord. I genuinely, truly do at this moment choose the Lord and want to follow him. But again, if that's, as, as Joshua says, if that's not desirable in your eyes, then choose whoever else you will serve, and then there's a place for you. This isn't the place. And I just want to challenge us and churches everywhere to take this seriously. And if that happens, uh, even if the numbers are whittled down, it will result in truly the health of the church, God being glorified and honored all the more in it, and the church being a, a truer, better, purer witness for Christ in the world. Uh, so let's do that. Let's hear that challenge. Whom will we serve? Let's answer that question truly, honestly, and ideally, faithfully for the Lord. And let's pray. Lord God, the church does, even if it's an unpleasant reality to, to come to grips with, the church does look a lot like the Israelites did way long ago in Joshua's time. There were many in his time saying, oh, of course, we follow the Lord, and yet they're there worshiping idols for other gods bowing down before them. And we see that same type of thing, even if not with literal idols in the American evangelical church, people claiming, oh, of course, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. 
get full well rejecting the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who, who you are, people just posing as Christians. And it is certainly time for leaders to pose that question to churches and Christians everywhere. We need to choose this day whom we will serve. Who's it going to be, you or someone or something else, Lord? And I pray that Christians everywhere would truly be confronted with that choice. And I hope and pray, or those claiming to be Christians, and I hope and pray that for a great many of them, it truly is to follow you, Lord. But if it isn't for some, at least they're being open and honest about it, and the church might be purified as a result and better honor and glorify you and serve you and be healthier and thrive, Lord, and be a better witness for you. And so bring that to pass, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.